I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC and 21st Century Equipment, and Aaron Fintel talk year-end equipment purchases and the pickup in the used tillage market over the last six months. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, or Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. In this episode, in addition to the tillage market, Casey and Aaron also discuss high-speed planting and the 400 to 500 horsepower row crop tractors. Here we are in December, probably one of the most active months of the year, except for, uh, I think, probably 2019. I've heard, I've heard and read, can't wait for 2019 to be over more than... Uh, in, in any other year than I've ever been in. I, you know, anything and everything that could have went bad for the majority of the, uh, of the farm, farming and ranching world has seemed to have taken place here. So I guess as you kind of look back across uh, 2019 and what we see happening here, we still got a lot, of, a lot of December yet to go, but that last couple of weeks of December are very slow to say the least, depending on what, what's going on with auctions, those kind of things. But for the most part, from Christmas to New Year's isn't necessarily a, a bang up time for the business. Uh, I guess in the last couple of years, anyway. So I guess you take a look out there and what do you see happening? And kind of what are your reflections of 2019? Well, first of all, you said it's the most active part of the year, right? Or most active time. You know what else What's it that? is? What's that? It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> that's that's a possibility too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. Now to be serious, kind of, as far as what is going on, it is semi-active. I would call it people that call buy, and it doesn't take a lot of discussion. You know, of course, for those that don't know, you know, I don't do any local drive out to the farm and visit and all that kind of stuff. Everything I do is phone and internet. So by the time they've gotten a hold of me, they're half to three-fourths made up their mind, right? Right. There's not a lot of emails, text messages, phone calls back and forth before it's done right now. It seems like guys are, you know, hey, I'm interested in this. What do you know about it? They've looked at all the pictures online, and hopefully we have a bunch of pictures online. Or they've, you know, seen my tweets, a lot of Twitter action, and short discussion, and what's the interest rate, here's what it is, here's what the down money is, done. Now, right. so if it's going to happen, it's happening quickly. That's kind of typical for year-end stuff, right? On the other hand, there's not an overabundance of it right now. So I would say... What interest is there is legit. And I know a lot of guys, I've probably got 10, 15 guys that are like, I know I have to do something. I'm going to buy one of these three things. Find me all three things. I'm going to go see the accountant. And then I'm going to pick one of those three. Or maybe two. Not all three. You know, just depends on what he's got to do. It's whatever's available on the dollar menu at the time. Right. Yep. <laughs> Correct. Right. Correct. I really need a 
new main 8R tractor, or not new, but a different, you know, late model, low hour used main tractor, but I might have to do a loader tractor. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff going on. So there's, here's something we don't talk about a lot of, but we have kind of, we've brushed against this topic a few times, but let's talk about tillage a little bit. So tillage is one of those things that I would say for the last three years has been relatively dead for the most part, but in the last six months, you've seen a bit of a pickup in especially good solid used tillage pieces out there. A lot of that too. I mean, tillage piece is probably the last thing that you're going to update on the farm if if you're trying to pay attention to what you're doing. But we have seen, at least I have anyway, noticed earlier, I'd say last fall through spring, I saw quite a bit of activity in tillage. And it, it feels like there was some fall tillage run as well here late summer. And even, even now, it feels like there might be a little bit of tillage stuff happening. What's your feel on that, and, and what do you see happen in the tillage market? Tillage is probably up a little bit now. Right. There's a gigantic reason why. Because as I've seen it said a million times over, 2019 will not go away. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. we start out very, very early spring, okay. And then it gets wetter upon wet upon wet everywhere. So you got a bunch of prevent plant that guys are going to have to do something with. What did get planted got mudded in. So that field's a mess. You make it through summer, early fall, late fall into winter. Guys are harvesting. It's wet. They're mudding it out. They got a lot. There's a lot of fields that need fixed. A lot. And that's where I think big bump in tillage is taking place. I was on Twitter the other day watching something and I can't remember the guy's name and I greatly apologize, but he was cutting cotton in, was it Louisiana or Mississippi? I don't remember it was. Or picking cotton, sorry. And they were, uh, I can't remember, what, but they were literally was leaving. It, was it in the roadside or in the ditch? No, because they didn't get rich. They all tried to pick the cotton. <laughs> they didn't get rich. But they were leaving like uh, half wheel deep ruts in the field as they were getting through and just slopping the shit out of it. Trying to get oh, I saw that. Yeah, he had uh, – that wasn't down there. It was on the uh, further east, east coast, like uh, Georgia, North Carolina, somewhere over there. But it was bad wherever they were at. And right. I mean, to the point where they were hooking up. I was waiting for someone to get – get the tow rope out to try to pull them back out again. I mean, I don't know how they were making through it, what they were making through. So this has been, like you said, you know, that there's fields are just putting all toward hell and, and there's, there's going to be, we start talking about land planes and, and those kind of things. We're starting to see guys looking for those kind of deals too. And some like very deep tillage tools that you haven't, you wouldn't typically see in an area where with the prevalence of no-till. The other part of that too is resistant, uh, you know, chemical resistant weeds and Roundup Ready weeds and those kind of things that were that are resistant now uh, to a lot of that. They're having to go back in and still set stuff up after you know three or five years after the fact. So I don't know. It feels like there might be a a good move towards tillage here. Maybe maybe the course of 2020. I don't think it's going to be a a very long sustainable thing like we'd see in like the late 90s or early 2000s or something like that. But or tillage was an actual practice, a, a yearly practice, you know. But I think there might be an opportunity for some 
to get some tilled stuff cleaned up on your lot. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And it could be a broad array of what guys are after, you know, it could be, it could be rigs to scratch, scratch out the ruts. It could be, you know, I want, I want a ripper that as I sink it in, just taps the core of the earth real quick. Right. And everything in between. So it, you know, I know for us, we we do a lot of strip till and this winter fall and winter strip tills been talked about quite a bit. Still a lot of guys updating strip strip till units, but I know nationwide there's been, you know, I've had, quite a few guys looking at discs and stuff like that. So we don't do at least, you know, in our immediate inventory, we don't do a lot with rippers. Right. Our sugar beat guys have old school V rippers that right. aren't, aren't sold in a hell of a lot of other areas. Right. Cause they're, they're not the most residue friendly creatures on earth. Other parts of the world guys are doing, you know, I've talked to, I talked to quite a few guys and down in Tejas and they're doing a lot down there with, uh, the good old straight leg minimal disturbance rippers, you know, and then you got the guys in the Eastern corn belt that are every, every day somebody's talking about tile <laughs> one way or another. So yeah, there's a, a little bit, a little bit, of, a little bit of everything right now, a, a yep. mixed, a mixed bag. You know. <clears throat> And I will. The other side of that too is when you start talking about tillage, the next best thing out there is, uh, is planters and planters have been that way for a while because we sold everything off at auction in 2014 and left zero anywhere on anybody's lot. But, right. But the, the idea of the high speed planter, whether it's John Deere's exact emerge or it is uh, a precision setup or, well, that's really your two options, I guess. Uh, one of those two, those two setups there is a uh we're starting to see the high speed idea really take hold and not necessarily as a fat anymore but a lot of guys are looking at it as you know i'm going to get good placement i'm going to get good stand i'm going to get all these different things are going to happen and i'm going to be able to do it fast ahead of windows i guess again also too the rise on the back to the tillage part of it i guess we'd have that discussion too the, the high speed tillage aspects as well. That's nothing right. new. I mean, that's been out there for four or five or six years, but man, there's, there's a lot of players in that, in that high speed tillage market. And it all kind of goes back to what we've seen happen. The explosion of playing windows, whether it's early freezes or whatever it is that's out there, guys are having to do more acres quicker and the same amount of acres faster. And they're, uh, the idea of speed, is getting a thing. And the horsepower is another thing that I've been watching explode, whether it's some of these high speed discs, you know, pull them at eight to 10 miles an hour that are 30 foot wide. That takes an incredible amount of horsepower to make that happen more than you would more than your typical machine would. You have to have, if you're pulling a 300 horsepower tractor, pulling a a 30 foot disc, you're going to be one and a half times higher, almost two times higher to pull that same disc twice as fast. You know what I mean? So it's, the idea of of machines, horsepower, and getting bigger and those kind of things, you're starting to see that hydraulics and everything else starting to play into that. I guess talk about that. What do you think about in that realm? I mean, it seems like bigger is getting bigger because everybody wants to go faster, not necessarily because implements are getting that much bigger. Correct. When 
when VTs first came out, first gained popularity, you know, guys were, for instance, we'll use the absolutely not a fan of it, but I'll use the turbo till for instance, does not pull hard. If you're using it, you know, like your disking speeds, right. Pulls really damn hard at eight, eight and a half, nine mile an hour where you're supposed to run it. <laughs> right. And right. That's, yeah. that's what you're running into. I sold a lot, sold a few of the uh, big, heavy-ass Degelman Pro Tills to guys. And their, you know, their state of mind is, well, I got, you know, I got a 345-horse tractor. I could probably pull a 30-footer. No way in hell are you going to pull a 30-footer, maybe down the road, but maybe not uphill down the road. Because right. it yeah. is big and it is heavy, and you got to pull that damn thing 10, 12 mile an hour to get it to do what it's supposed to do. Right. We'll get back to Casey and Aaron in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, agri-tailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce cost, and speed your growth. Let's get back to the program now as Casey and Aaron talk about the high horsepower row crop tractor market and the compaction issues that can come along with all that weight. And that's the way all that, you know, quick, quick till, deer, um, land all, all that high speed stuff is, hence the name, high speed. You have to pull it fast. It's not that it pulls that hard, which they, they do still pull harder than you think, but it's just the speed at which you have to pull it takes that much more power right. to get the job done. And the planners are the same thing. When you look at high-speed planners, we'll, we'll use the, the best one on the market, the Deer Exact Emerge. The hydraulic demand that that planner requires, if you have the hydraulic generator, not the PTO generator, but the hydraulic right. generator, plus pulling that planner eight, nine mile an hour is a lot of tractor demand. You don't just hook up a 295 or a 310 on a 24 row and go. Right. Most guys are, you know, that's like a 370 minimum. Most guys are bumping up to a small four wheel. And right. going, you know, 410, 420. And that's that's a hell of a nice match that way. Yep. Just because, yeah, it's just a 24-row planter, but just like the tillage thing, you're pulling it faster. Plus, you are throwing a lot of oil at that thing, which has a demand across the machine, the tractor. Right. Yep. So... It's 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 a lot of compounding issues that we don't just hook up to something and go, right? Which also goes back to this 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 rise of the the four to five hundred horsepower row crop tractor, you know, where a lot of guys are are really dabbling in that because they don't necessarily want the the size and weight and everything else that you see in a, in a big like you know like a an RX type tractor or a Delta track or something like that. Are you going to have forty fifty thousand pounds out there? But you got this this real crop check that's still heavy still going to be going to be heavy enough still going to be plenty of weight out there running around but it's a it's a real crop style tractor not a your traditional articulated four-wheel drive so i think that's where we're starting to see that pressure in the marketplace on those on those real crops start to pop in and i think a lot of guys are starting to kind of venture more down into that higher horsepower real crop tractor in fact when i was selling challenger stuff there were plenty of guys up in canada that were tinkering with 865s uh, with 18 inch tracks on them or 25 inch tracks on them. 
and trying to maximize that that 500 horsepower to maximize that row crop experience that they were trying to get. And I don't know, I think, I guess what's your thoughts on that? Where do you think that's coming from? Do you think that's just the idea of the niche, that niche marketplace? Or do you feel like that's a, something that people are trying to get the, the kind of a hybrid effect, uh, you know, a, a high horsepower tractor that's still broke crop without being a big four wheel drive. I guess the, the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, is you're talking about the eight sixty fives of 18 inch tracks and you, you and I both being two track fans anyway, I know with the, with the, uh, the, the case IH, what do they call them? A, a row track, the, the row crop quad tracks, no, yeah, yeah, the half track thing. No, 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 no. The actual quad track. Oh, but yeah, okay, okay, okay. Eight, but it's eighteen inch tracks, and and yep. Deer does it in the four twenty RX, four seventy RX. Right, right, right. It seems like that is not. I, I'll tell you right now, that does not seem to be the answer because in the used market they are not a very desirable commodity very often. You know, I know we've we've taken in some of those row crop quad tracks and they it takes a lot of work to get get them moved to the next guy. And I know talking to guys that have sold some of the row crop RXs, not the eight RX, but the nine RX row crop. God, they need some more letters and numbers. They're they're not they're not something that just flies off the shelf by any stretch in the used market. Now, part of that is cost. You know, right. that's they're very expensive tractors, whether they're red or green or chartreuse or magenta. Right. But they're so I, I don't think that is the answer. I I would love 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 to see basically what you just described have like a. A nine four seventy RT with eighteens on it. I think that would be the cat's ass. Well, big, the the biggest, biggest issue to have is stuff like that. When you have that big, big horsepower, big weight like that on those tracks like that was this it was just being able to keep the track from slipping so much. That, yeah, absolutely. Part. How do you how do you or, maintain that? But or the other the other aspect is you burn up tracks all the time, rip off guide lugs, all that kind of fun stuff. It is a double-edged sword, but I guess there's a there's a reason why they don't go up that high. I mean, with tracks, you know, narrow tracks like that. But you're right. I mean, having that having that set up like that, where you've got high high horsepower tractor on narrow eighteen to twenty five inch belts is is pretty nice, pretty slick idea. Right, especially yeah. from uh, uh, my, my personal opinion, and I just feel like your guidance works. It's easier to to get the guidance going on on a two track system, you know what I mean? Than it is to just get it to go like it's supposed to, you know what I mean? Well, it absolutely. seems like it works way better. Absolutely. What was the first thing that was ever, that ever had guidance applied to it? A two track tractor. Yeah. So there you go. The other side of the coin about high horsepower road crops gaining popularity. Yes. Eight, 400 R's as far as the deer world goes have been kind of hit or miss because they have that E23 that is right. a wonderful transmission, tough as nails. There there has not been a lot of communication from dealers to farmers about exactly what the hell it is. Right. If I'm a little bit of a gearhead and 
I always fall, I always trap myself into the same comment of, well, it's kind of a power shift and kind of an IVT, right? <laughs> which is, which is always met with a, huh? What? Right. Yeah. So yeah. here in the last, oh man, however long, probably the last three months, I've seen a big increase in demand on, on the eight, eight, four hundred hours. And I know a yeah. lot of guys talking on the, forgive me that I don't screw this up. The eight are four ten. Right. Um, and three seventies both ways seem to be gaining, you know, of course for our immediate territory, the three seventies King King shit anyway, but right. across the nation, that's, that seems to be kind of the, the home run tractor. So, yep. The one, too, the other machine out there that, that I've been watching and pay attention to, brand wise, anyway, is, is that is Fent. I mean, they've done, right. They've done a lot of stuff here of late to kind of up their game a little bit and what they've been doing. And, and they've really caught my attention in what they, whether it's the ideal combine or whether it's just uh, the high horsepower real power tractor that, you know, I mean, they've, it's a fit tractor, you know, challengers branded it. And you, you know, that the, that the <laughs> it seems like, you know, it seems like whenever you have a, a tractor, that's got a certain name on the front on the outside of it and a certain color, but then you go look at the serial plate and it says another company's name on it. Right. You got to think that that's kind of short. There, there's going to be uh they, they're probably phasing. I mean, I guess my guess is the, be, there's going to be something there where they're, they're trying to, Atco's trying to brand everything a fit now, I feel like. And and that's right. gonna which is one thing about that that line that the Atco line that's always been I think their biggest Achilles heel is they've got four hundred different brands and they all make one thing and just one goes right for one color and one goes left for the other color. And right. you know, it's, it's kinda like the GMC and Chevy pickup kind of thing. You know, I mean there's nothing different about them except easy one. easy. Take one gets one, one gets another one, and they come out with a different grill on one side. Now they have different tailgates. Oh, okay. Well, look at that. What more could you ask for? There you go. But, but so I think that that's one thing I think where they're that's something to pay attention to is is what Fence doing and, and what they're doing and, and how they're how they're trying to evolve their uh, the product line and what Agco is trying to do with the product line. So I think there could right. be some significant significant changes uh, within the ADCO world uh, of, as far as how dealerships look and what dealerships become uh, down the road. So, Yeah. You know, <laughs> you might cool. one day have a very fancy high-tech windrower that is a fit by Massey Ferguson by Heston. Could be, yeah. And they could, they could wrap it all the, together. The, because... the, the decal wrap all the way around so you can get all that written on the same detail. Well, it'll be, it'll start on the right side and it'll go from, from, <laughs> from brown to red to faint green as it comes back around. It'll be just kind there of like an ever changing kind of cool, kind of cool. Right. So. Right. Look like that, uh, like that paint, you know, people put on them cars that like changes colors on the sun. Yeah. The chameleon paint job. Yeah. There you go. Right on. But yeah, no, but you're real quick. You're you're right. Those things are. Ev- I I've never heard anything bad about them. Quite honestly, right. As far as the machine itself, I've heard other stuff, but the machine itself, the product that it is, is a fairly impressive. And if they weren't selling, they wouldn't still be around. 
So you, you just run into, just like your thing about the, my dream of a nine, four, nine, four seventy RT with 18 inch tracks. You still, you know, to, you see a lot of those things where they're set up, you know, what I call the European configuration with big, you know, like 710 rear, 620 fronts, or even 800 rears and right. 700 fronts or 750 fronts. They're very popular in the like manure application world. You know, you start taking that, I think their biggest, I think it's a 510 if I remember right. You take that 510 engine horsepower and you put it on 480, 50 rears and 420, 34 fronts, you're asking a lot out of those eight tires to get that all to the ground. No, you'd have to run triples so then, quadruples to make that work. So then you weight the piss out of it and then you create right. compaction issues. So then you're at the point of, well, why don't I just get a 9510R? And yeah, it's not as handy, but if you need the horsepower, you need the horsepower. And what do you do? That's the biggest issue I see with those machines as they get those row crop machines, like just that very point. It's the weight issue, weight issue and the compaction issue, getting all that power to the ground on a, on a smaller, more compact platform. It's, yep. it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a different kind of, uh, I guess, a different level of engineering to get to make that work than what we're used to on a machine. Just the base platform by itself already weighs 30,000 pounds, 35,000 pounds. And you haven't right. put a single weight on it yet. You know what I mean? So you're talking about a row crop machine that weighs 20,000 pounds weighted up. It's a whole different thing. And, and that's a, uh, that's going to be the, uh, the fun part of watching that evolution take place and see how they make that work. Right. Exactly. All right, man, what else is on your mind? What else is going on in the world of Aaron Fennel right now? Not a lot. Had a had a nice little Thanksgiving ass kicking blizzard. Yeah, I had one of those too. Started snowing uh, Friday night. Blew all day Saturday, all day long. Road blew shut. Got dug out about three o'clock. That was that was the excitement of the weekend, I guess. And after that, just kind of keep uh, pushing along. Yeah, no, same thing here. We're gonna make try to make it back down to Wichita and. And uh, by the time we got everything kind of squared away and situated on Tuesday, they closed about every road that we could have went on uh, headed east. And then <laughs> about eight hours later, I got a tweet from KNEB that said all the roads in the Nebraska Panhandle have been closed. So I'm like, right. <laughs> what does that mean? You know? <laughs> so, and they weren't for sure when they were going to get them open the next day. That, that even made me feel more better about what's going on. So, so all that happened and then which I'm glad I didn't we didn't go on because coming back would have been worse than going. So we had a had a pretty good snowstorm go along with uh Thanksgiving, which uh I guess when you live in the Panhandle, Nebraska, you can account on about three blizzards a year, I guess. So I guess, um, I guess this year's you, not over yet, but we can you know, the the thing is though, in this country, Thanksgiving and Christmas, either one could be zero, could be seventy. You don't know. Yeah. 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 You can be outside playing football on a t-shirt on Christmas day or, you know, shoveling 18 inches of snow like last year and yeah. uh, doing all that fun stuff. So good times, good times, man. All right, buddy. Well, I guess we've kind of 
ran the gamut on this one. If folks want to reach out to Aaron Fennel, what's the best way to do that? Well, best way is probably call me or text me, 308-760-1193, or I am fairly active on the ag Twitterverse, and uh, you can reach me there at Aaron Fintel. And those are, if you can't get me either one of those ways, throw up a smoke signal, shoot a flare, something somehow. Yeah, tell somebody he needs some sheep, and then he'll answer the phone right away. So, <laughs> perfect. 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 Right on. Thanks, Casey and Aaron. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all of our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash AskTheExpert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profit. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. And you can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Aaron, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.